0: A couple of weeks ago, I was on a call with a prospect who was looking for help with her marketing. She had paid for a freight broker training course where she would be able to work under the company's MC number when the training was completed. Only when she was done with the training, the course owner ghosted her and she was left without a pathway forward. This was really heartbreaking to hear because very few people can afford to drop a couple grand on a training course that doesn't lead to an actual job. So I posted about it to LinkedIn and man, the freight community really came through. Hello everyone, Blythe Bromley with digitaldispatch.io and I'm pumped to say that I love the logistics community that has been built up over LinkedIn within the past couple years. Within a few hours of that post, I had people from all over the US reaching out to help a woman they've never met, but knew she genuinely wanted to get involved in the freight industry. The community came through by offering up contacts and resources to help her. I was able to put her in contact with Chris Jolly, the freight coach, and it was also a reminder about my friends Ben and Nate over at Freight 360. You see, they've actually done the hard work of creating a legitimate freight broker course. It's so good that they've secured training partnerships with the TIA and other industry leaders. Not only do they offer the course, but they consistently offer sales training to keep your educational journey moving in a good direction. All that to say, we've got Freight360 co-host and co-founder Ben Kowalski on today's show dropping a ton of gems on what prospective freight brokers need to know before they purchase a course, what sales strategies brokers should be implementing in 2022, what marketing can do to help sales teams, and so much more. It's a valuable conversation for everyone just starting out to those looking to upgrade their game. It's one of my favorite episodes of the year, so I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did.
1: Well, now now Ben, I on the show for a while, but what really sort of was the straw that broke the camel's back for me was just a couple of weeks ago, I I talked with a prospect and she mentioned that she got scammed by taking a freight broker course. And then she got ghosted and she never heard from the guy again. And so she ended up, you know, someone who probably didn't have a couple thousand dollars to waste. She ended up wasting a couple thousand dollars. And it started this whole sort of conversation about where folks can find freight broker courses that aren't a scam and that are actually legitimate now you guys have actually created a course on over on freight 360 on this same topic so tell me a little bit about what the before we get into the course your course itself but tell me a little bit about Mm -hmm. what the current landscape is for freight broker courses are most of them a scam or there are a lot of legitimate ones out there it's just a little tougher to find
2: I would say the overwhelming majority are, and I don't I would, I don't want to use the word scam because I don't want to speak to that many general things that I haven't been able to dig into, but I would say there's probably two or three that we've come across that are reputable that we feel get you the information you need to actually take some of the next steps. I think one of the other big things are setting the right expectations. I think a lot of people, and for a lot of good reason, right, people are jumping in and want to get into the industry. It's prevalent. It's in the news. People are aware of it during the you know holiday season. It, there's no shortage of publicity towards our industry now. And I think that's done some benefits and some drawbacks. And I think one of the drawbacks are people are looking to just profit by putting anything together and throwing it out there and saying, hey, here's a freight broker course. Because the reality is, is The bar and the barrier to entry to starting a a brokerage is pretty low. So you could Hmm. technically get away with saying you've provided all the information necessary to succeed. And the reality is, is I think that's the big discrepancy with the scams that are out there. They just... They don't have the information. They don't cover nearly enough to actually succeed in the industry. And that was one of the reasons why my partner and I came out and really put our own course together was we were running into that with people reaching out to us. Same thing that you would run into, you know, people coming out to us going, hey, like I purchased this course and I still have no idea what to do.
1: That, it's It's really frustrating and sad to hear because a lot of folks that are that are I, I would imagine that if I, I want to become a freight broker, that I probably don't have $2,000 to just throw down the drain. I mean, I, I, I don't particularly want to become a freight broker, but I like learning about it, the aspects of it. Um, but I wouldn't want to waste $2,000 on something that isn't going to be long term beneficial. Now, for most freight brokers, are they starting out at a brokerage? Or are they starting out with taking a course like uh, like some of them that you will find, you know, on the Internet or social media?
2: How are they? I would say often up until very recently the traditional path was to go and work as a w-2 and to really just get a job and then to learn the industry by going and working in an office i mean we've all seen this transition through the pandemic of you know working from home not needing to be going into the office on a day to day basis so a lot more people are now coming into the industry through the course avenue just wanting to learn about it and i would also say that i think there's probably a good number of our clients and people that have worked with us that You know, they wanted to learn about it and maybe they found out enough information, they decided it wasn't a good fit um, because it isn't a good fit for everybody. But I would say that you're seeing a lot more prevalence with people buying courses, getting into it, and trying to look for ways to get in the industry without having to go work in an office. They want to work from home. And I think it's a viable option. It's one of the few careers I think that are out there that, without having a formal education, if you will, You could absolutely come in and if you really put the time and the effort into it, you can make a very good living in this industry. And I don't know that that's the case in really a lot of the other industries that I've worked in throughout my life.
1: Are there any warning signs that people should look out for when they're seeing some of these courses out? I mean, obviously, your your course that you offer on uh, Freight360.net, that's the one that is is pretty comprehensive. But are there any warning signs that maybe if other folks are seeing something on social media that maybe that stick out to you that they should avoid or be on the lookout well, I would
2: for? I would say the first thing you want to take a look at is like, what is in the content? Like, what are you looking to learn? Um, And compare it. I I would say, you know, one of the two most credible courses I would say that are on the market are ours and the TIA. The TIA has been, you know, a staple in the industry for decades. Their course, and we are, I actually, my partner and I both also teach their courses. So we do training with the TIA as well as with our own students. Um, And I would take a look at if you are looking for another course out there, ask yourself a few questions. Are you evaluating this because like you've talked to people you think it's a good fit and you're ready to take the next step then i would take a look at one of these two courses look at the curriculum we offer and compare it to the course that you've been considering the other thing i would say is maybe you're at an earlier stage and you're not sure if this is a good fit but you want to learn more we put a ton of free content out on our website for this very reason and back to what you were talking on earlier i mean a lot of that stuff we do intentionally for seo but also Almost everything that is in our course is covered in another video. It's covered in a podcast. It's covered in a blog. So if you are at this stage where you're not sure if this is the right fit, but you're maybe about ready to take a jump and buy a course, take a look. We put all this out there for this very reason. So you can get the information and you can make an informed decision before you purchase. We want people to be able to kind of be at that you know decision where they know it's a good fit before they kind of jump into our course or even coach with us. So that's why we put a lot of that stuff out there free to the market and for everybody to help evaluate the other options out there.
1: Yeah, because I mean, from especially from an educational standpoint, you want people to trust that they're coming to you for the right reasons. And while they could, you know, theoretically go and search all of your content and, and, you know, try to watch it in order, at least with a course, you'll be able to watch it in the order that you're meant to watch it. And then from there, it's a much easier of a learning experience versus just trying to find a bunch of different content and hope that you're watching it in the right order. So you're putting it out there for educational reasons, but then also you have it in a nice laid out format, which is perfect. Pretty- perfect for courses. Um, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with as far as like looking for the reputable educational opportunities, because I think that's what the, the, the biggest question is right now. Now, as far as your career, let, let's back it up a little. How did you get into the world of freight and, and how did you find yourself, you know, at, at a point where you wanted to start teaching other people to join the industry?
2: The interesting thing was I got recruited into it. I didn't even know that the industry existed when I got recruited into it. I My background was in finance. I was a lender. Um, so I dealt with banking. And when I moved to South Florida, I was looking at banks to work for. And one of the larger brokerages recruited me, called me in for an industry, said, I, I think this would be a good fit for you. And honestly, after one or two conversations, one, I was astounded that I just wasn't aware of this Massive industry, right? Eight hundred some billion dollars, and I just had never heard of it. But two, just all of the aspects of it just really, you know, kind of struck a chord with me. It's fast pace. Um, there's always areas to improve. You've got uncapped ability to earn. You get to work with a lot of great people, and. I really like the fact that in this industry, you get to work from everybody from the blue collar all the way through the bureaucracies and the aspects of like corporate finance that I've enjoyed. You really get to see all of it. And that was kind of how I got into it. literally just got recruited into it, didn't know anything about it, and just have enjoyed it ever since. (laughs) As it kind of related... (laughs) No go ahead. I-,
1: I was gonna say, well, what's, what's the catalyst that, that made you say, okay, well, I want to start creating content around this. I want to start a podcast, which your podcast is great, by the way, I got it linked in the show notes of where you can find it. Um, but it's one of my go to's, especially when it comes to the sales side of things that I, I just don't get exposed to enough. But with your podcast, why did you want to start a podcast?
2: Well, to be honest, it was the podcast first started as Midnight Freight Broker with my partner, Nate Cross. He has started about three and a half years ago, I think, give or take. We got connected because he was a recruiter for an agency model, tried to recruit me when I was working with this large brokerage years ago. And it's one of these things where you don't know where you're going to meet people in life. And him and I always just kind of clicked. And as things transitioned into the pandemic, um, him and I were both looking for things where we could talk a little bit more about freight. And a lot of the things you were talking about, there's a lot of disinformation in the industry. There's not a lot of communication between parties, not a lot of communication between carriers and brokers in some ways and carriers and shippers and how any of this operates. And Nate and I just always clicked and we just felt, hey, you know, why don't we take what him and I talked about together and we're able to help the people around us and the offices we worked in and whatnot, and really just kind of put this out there for everybody. Mm-hmm. So it was something that we enjoyed. We always liked talking about. And, you know, the more we did it, the more the kind of listenership grew, the audience grew, people reached out for more, and it kind of grew organically into what it is now. It started out exactly as that, putting out good content and stuff that we just thought was going to be valuable to people in our industry that we worked amongst.
1: Now, with how many people that you talk to from newbies to the experienced pros, are there any common questions that you're getting asked on a regular basis? Because you also offer, you know, consulting and coaching calls as well. So I imagine that you're hearing a lot of questions throughout your conversation. Are you noticing any like similar trends of of the common questions that people are asking?
2: Absolutely. I mean, so the most common question we get from the brokers and brokerages we worked with that are already in business, right? I would say the biggest issue that we work on with our clients is like, well, how do you grow, which is the first thing that everybody wants, but it's how do you get there, right? Because most brokerages have the same bottleneck, which is they've got a lot of business, they're running, they're profitable, but they don't have enough time. They don't have enough time to bring on the next person than to be able to delegate some things off their plate. And it's always just trying to manage the capacity of the actual broker, right? How many customers they're talking to? Are they getting enough trucks? So that's, I would say, the biggest growing pain that we work on with brokers that are probably in existence is how do they get to the next step? How do they scale up to the next level that they want to be? Whether it's, you know, 5 to 10 million or 25 to 30 million, wherever that is, it's the same process. And we work through that with them. I would say the biggest question, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, go ahead. What's the biggest question?
2: I was going to say the other large question that we get from newbies is just really what it's like. And I would say that the one thing that I really try to get across and that Nate and I try to talk a lot about in our podcast, it's one of the things I feel like we say over and over again, is that this is a simple industry, but it's not easy, right? It's Mm. difficult and you're going to deal with a lot of rejection, right? And if you want to go and start a career and build your own book, setting the right expectation up front and getting people to understand that like you're going to be told no or hung up on somewhere between 60 and 80 times a day. And it's going to be for a few months, but the payoff is large if you're willing to put yourself through that.
1: I mean, God, I cannot imagine making 60 to 80 phone calls a day. So bless y'all that are out here who are doing that. Well, how can marketing departments or even like one person marketing teams, which is what most brokerages are are lucky Mm -hmm. to have? How can marketing help these new brokers that are entering the space or even established brokers?
2: I think marketing plays a very important role because we live, I mean, we all know the economy we live in. I mean, you guys, you can talk about it every week on your show, right? The digital aspect of it. When we have somebody reach out to us now, it's not even like it was five years ago. Like we expect there to be an online presence. We expect to be able to go and to verify the person that reaches out to us. Is who they say they are, but there's also this intangible. I think of like what is the feel you get when you go to this company's digital place of business? Right, it's not the physical. It's not what the building looks like so much anymore. It's what is the presence? What are they doing out there in the market? What are they? What are their advantages? What are they doing? What are they like? And I think that's one of the things that really helps support the sales team, as well as just having additional resources when they're going and they're following up to be able to provide the things that they're being asked for.
1: So things like blog articles, maybe even videos, uh, mm-hmm. content resources that, that maybe marketers should be focusing their energy on so that the freight team or the, the, the sales team can have more chances to sell, you know, I guess maybe to a more targeted market. And then my next question is, well, how are they reaching that targeted market? Are, are, are sales teams are, is it just strictly cold calls or are there cold emails? What does that process look like for somebody who is just starting out as a freight broker?
2: So I would say what we advise is it's predominantly phone calls that are moving the needle, right? So you need to have the human interaction to be able to, because all sales is at the end of the day is a transference of emotion, right? We're on the phone. We're trying to build enough trust and credibility that the person we're speaking to believes that we're going to follow through with what we said we would, right? I mean, it's as simple as that. So it's very hard to move that emotional needle or to build trust through written text but written text provides a very good it's it's another tool in your in your quiver or you know in your arsenal that is going to help you get to that phone call right and especially with a pandemic when everybody went to go work from home or people shifted back and forth from being in their office to working on a loading dock the phone lines that we all depended on to prospect prior to the pandemic kind of went out the window where lots of companies are working off their cell phones or people don't have landlines at their house and they're moving back and forth from working from home To working in the office so i've seen email become way more effective after i mean you know in the past year or two since the pandemic started than it has ever been in the industry and i think the primary function that we advise it's used for is don't try to close a customer on an email but it is a great way to get in front of a customer and to get them onto the phone then you, you know, do what you can on the phone to try to move that needle, build trust. And then you mix in some texts and you mix in emails with it. So you have other things. I wouldn't say it's in any way strictly verbal on the phone, but mixing those things together helps you get a little more effective at getting people on the phone. Does that make sense?
1: How are you... It does definitely, because I think that especially if people are working for from their mobile phones, then you probably need to make it short and to the point. Um, Don't write out these, you know, thousand word emails where people just I feel like the email inbox is already so overloaded that if you're prospecting, I feel it it would probably be much better of of a success rate if you're just quick and to the point. Um, But what about as far as like, leads itself how are how are brokers finding the leads is it just simply you know a a book of cold leads that you know the sales team has looked at before and then just didn't want to touch or are they you know finding you know i guess email lists to buy online Or, or how are they finding the leads to begin with
2: So on the first point I want to cover on what you said in regards to the emails, the one thing I would absolutely get across is if you are sending emails to a prospect, it should be no more than three to five statements, sentences, Hmm. no more than that, maybe even two to three. Because to your point, these paragraphs that are all about us, that we want to tell them everything that we know and what we're great at, right? They're not No one's reading those like no one's going to sit there and spend 10 minutes in the middle of their day reading an email about how great we are that we wanted to tell them about us. Right. It needs to matter to them. So keep that in mind when you're when you're composing these emails. Now, as it relates to leads. Right. The one thing that I also love about this industry is just about everything. Right. Everything that I can see in your shot and everything that's behind me got to where it was at some point on a truck. Right. So whether you're walking through a grocery store, whether you're Christmas shopping or whether you're literally just walking down the street, There are tons of things that you can prospect. And why I point that out is I think one of the more interesting ways to go about finding leads is to start with what interests you, right? And in transportation, there is no shortage of finding prospects. So let's say your hobby, I don't know, maybe you're a hockey fan, right? You can find every supplier of every piece of hockey equipment and then prospect them. Because guess what? Mm. That's something you're interested in talking about. You can talk to that person who, by the way, is livelihood, is selling hockey equipment. Think about how much easier it is to build rapport and trust with somebody when you both have that shared interest, right? So one of the things we absolutely advise is, like, start with what interests you. If cooking's a hobby, if there's a sports team, if you are a country music fan, like, you can do shipping for venues. You can do shipping for the products that are going to do that. Anything that interests you, there is a prospect that you can find. That's where I would start there. The other kind of categories are... And if you're working with like a larger brokerage, or even a smaller mid-sized brokerage, or even a small brokerage, you should probably have a pool of leads. And these are great for your new your new reps, the people getting into the industry, they're going to make a lot of mistakes, we all do when we learn. So you want these people to be able to call through leads that are maybe I don't want to say less valuable, but ones that there's not that big of a deal. If you make a mistake, you hang up and you move to the next one, low risk, right? So The lead list, the things that you can buy, those email lists, if they're low cost and they get you some phone numbers, it helps get some of the people that maybe don't have any leads to call the reps. So there's value. I wouldn't say there's value in like we're hoping to close a lot of business through those types. Now, the other category, I would say the final is the ones, the companies that are a fit for what our brokerage does. Every, va- every brokerage out there should have a value proposition, whether it's selling on communication, maybe it's that you guys do predominantly building materials out of the southeast, maybe you do produce out of California, whatever that value is, whatever your niche is that you focus on then I would look for the companies that you really want to go after that are in that niche. Those are the ones that I would say should make up about 10% of your prospecting, right? You've got 70%, which are your bulk. You've got about 20%, which are what you're interested in. And then you should have 10%, which are, I don't want to say like your whales, because it's not necessarily the size, but they are... They are the ideal customer for your brokerage. They're the companies that you really want to work with, right? The ones that you don't care if it takes a year or two to get onboarded. Once you do, you know you guys would be a great fit. Those are the ones where you want to do research. I think you need to be digging into LinkedIn, understanding who the points of contact are, and really understanding what that company's value proposition is so that you could have really good conversations with them. You want to extend those conversations out a little bit longer, and you want to kind of play the long game with those because they're more valuable. And you're not just looking to move a load and move on. You really do want to establish that long-term relationship with them.
1: I love all of those tips because from the perspective of even, you know, finding the things that you're interested in, I used to work with a sales guy that would go to grocery stores and he would go to the frozen section and he would look at the manufacturers on the back of each package and he would just write them down and then he would go home and that's how he would prospect. Um, So I I, I love that those, all of those added bonuses and and tips that you just dropped. Um, But bringing it to the podcast for a second, what about you and Nate? What do you, you guys have covered a lot of topics in the past. Do you have any plans of what you're you're, you're going to cover in 2022? Um, is the podcast, how is the podcast going to evolve? Or is it going to evolve? Because if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
2: It's a little bit of column a a little bit of column B. Um, we put a lot more effort into YouTube over the past six months. We've probably been on there about a year and a half. So a lot more effort there. We're putting a lot. We're putting our entire podcast on YouTube. We're doing now at least one or if not two videos a week. So we're doing a lot more on that avenue to have more video content. Um, the other thing is i mean we're about to hit a pretty big milestone hopefully by the end of the year we're going to hit a hundred thousand downloads so that's something that we've been really excited about and then kind of for next year content and stuff that we're pushing and looking to move forward we're doing a lot more webinars we're doing a lot more live trainings and one of the things that i'm really excited for is as we've been growing our youtube channel and driving more and more traffic there is just doing more kind of like free trainings out there where we're going to be able to interact with our audience answer live questions. We did one yesterday actually with DAT. We had, I think it was right around 2000 people sign up, but I mean, it was great. The thing with those is you can't really kind of interact with the people in the interview and, in, you know, in the webinars, you can only field a couple questions at the end. So one of the things I'm excited for is to be able to actually utilize that feature of YouTube is to be able to like engage with the audience as we're kind of going through the training topics.
1: That's awesome, because especially from the interactive, you know starting to really build that community aspect. now, are there any is there anything that you do in your content that you think that uh, other people, other brokers should be doing as well, or should they really just be focused on you know hammering the phones and and email outreach?
2: I think you need to have a presence. I think you should be out there covering all the things that you've kind of gone gone through, even just in the 15 minutes before you kind of brought me on, I think SEO is a big portion of that, right? Because people are looking to verify, even if you are reaching out, you need to have this other avenue. And I think that's really important that you're out there, that you have a presence. I think that having these blogs are really helping with organic search. Because again, regardless of how you contact or the prospect reaches out to you, It's valuable also moving forward, that they know you're involved in the industry, that they know you're on top of these things, right? This also helps handle some objections that you might not ever have to deal with because you have this content out there, right? Like ethics, credibility in industry, what to do when things go wrong. These articles on your website that your customers can read help answer the questions that are really in the back of their mind anyway, right? And I think that's absolutely valuable, But again, it's still, It's. I mean, it's like a full contact sport and the full contact in our sport is still the phone. So, I mean, if you want to get where you're going, absolutely, I would say a lot of your effort still needs to be there in conjunction with everything else we've kind of discussed.
1: I love it. Use your website as the final nail in the coffin for your sales tools and then also hammer the phones. All right, Ben, where can folks follow more of your work, your podcast, all that good stuff?
2: You can check us out where any of the podcasts are. So we're on Apple, Spotify, all of them. You can see myself or Nate. Check out Freight360 on LinkedIn, Freight360 on Facebook. We're also on um, Instagram. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to our channel on YouTube.
1: Awesome. Appreciate you. So much great perspective. You dropped a lot of gems in this, and I hope a lot of folks will, will take notes and then apply those in 2022. Looking forward to following more of your work. So, so thank you so much for coming on the show, Ben.
2: You as well. Always a pleasure.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. If you like what you heard, consider sharing it with a friend. Podcast discoverability is a bit of a challenge for creators like myself, so word of mouth goes a long way. You can check out past episodes of the show by hitting up the learn page on digitaldispatch.io. I also have some free courses on the site that cover content marketing, distribution, and even how to audit your own website. That's going to come in handy as everyone starts to prepare for those 2022 budgets. While you're there, you can also check out our socials, the DIY shop, or custom services. Until next time, I'm Blythe Brumlieb and I will see you real soon.